Welcome to What They Never Told Us, the podcast where we explore our own personal journeys in the hopes to give you some insight into your own narrative. I'm your host, Sasha, licensed mental health counselor. And I'm your host, Crystal, licensed social worker. Yes, we are mental health professionals. However, we are not experts on anyone else but ourselves. You are the only expert on you. The information shared or discussed on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. Welcome to a new episode. It is a new week, meaning we have a new topic for you. Today, we're going to be discussing COVID in almost in a year in review kind of way, just to talk about everything we've experienced. And yes, it has been a full year, which is crazy to me. It feels like I've lived four years in this one year. But before we get into that topic, as always, we're going to do a check-in. So, Crystal... How are you? Hey, y'all. So this week has been a bit of a whirlwind um, in terms of my emotions. So this week I started to feel a lot of insecurity about myself, but the most prominent, like, I guess, insecurity, because um, it was on multiple levels, was around my body and, like, my physical appearance. So you know, we're, we're going to be talking about COVID this episode, but something that I've been experiencing during this time being home is um, weight gain. You know, I work from home. Um, I, and I'll talk about it a little bit more, I've been very paranoid about going outside, about being exposed to COVID. Um, so I just haven't really been out and about as much and just gaining a lot of weight and feeling insecure, but also like starting to feel the physical effects of the added weight. I'm a very, I'm a tiny person. I'm 5'2", and I have a very small frame. So my body really isn't built to carry too much weight. So just thinking about wanting to work out, wanting to exercise, wanting to make sure that my body feels good and struggling to not shift into, my body needs to be perfect and I need to look like these Instagram models and all of that stuff. So I think for me, um, because in the past I've had an eating disorder and people for some reason really love to comment on my body. I think I, I always find the balance of like, how do I embrace and love my body? And then how do I also stay healthy and safe within my body? Because I'm starting to feel a lot of like pain in my knees. I feel like an old lady. Uh, <laughs> so just a lot of mixed emotions about like what I'm feeling in my body and what I feel about my body. Wow. Yo, you said, you said so much. <laughs> now it has me thinking about just something that you said that I just want to point out and how you don't know why, but people, they like to comment on your body. That feels so invasive to me. And it's crazy because you said it so normally, but like, I get where you're coming from. And then it, it does become something where you start to comment on your body according to how other people want to comment on your body. Right. Mm. Uh, and I'm not, a, and like that, that's what doesn't sit well with me because it's like, yo, like would I talk, would I do that to myself? And aside from the aesthetic of it all, you know, looking like an Instagram model or ugh, Instagram, it, first of all, Instagram models don't even look like Instagram models. Um, <laughs> they say, some of them say it themselves. It's all about the angle. Uh, but still all that pressure and it's just like, why can't it be about what you're saying exactly? Like, yo, your body's not feeling good. It's telling you that it needs to move because I think that our bodies really do need to move. So I love that you brought that up. Uh, obviously, I'm very passionate about moving and exercising and putting 
the right stuff in your body. So yes, I went off on a tangent, but uh, how am I doing? I'm feeling at peace with where I'm at right now. So that's the goal. I'm very happy I'm here today. And I don't, I don't know how else to describe what it is that I'm experiencing. I feel like hitting rewind to one of those <laughs> check-ins where I was like, I feel neutral. Like, I feel like in the middle. I'd be like, oh, remember when you said that? I'm going to need you to listen to your own <laughs> check-in. No. You well, know my so check-in, your comment on my check-in. <laughs> yeah, 100%. So that's why I said at peace because – I think peace is a state, right? No, I like it's not necessarily I so. neutral. I, I hear, I hear it as a state of mind. Like peace is a state of mind. Okay, so I'll go deeper then. I do feel good. I feel good about being at peace. I'm proud of myself. I'm proud of where I'm at. I've been reflecting a lot. You know, if you want the nitty gritty, there you go. I've been reflecting a lot, and it and it feels good to just just be good with yourself because these moments they're fleeting. <laughs> at least yeah, for me. So you got- no, I totally get that. You kind of want to make the best of the situation while you have it and enjoy it and be at peace with it. I totally get it. I feel like I have more to say, but I'm going to go ahead and jump into today's episode because you just got me like my mind going different places. As Sasha said earlier, it's no secret that 2020 slash beginning of 2021 has been one heck of a year. As a collective, we all experienced a lot of trauma loss, and just so much uncertainty around the COVID-19 pandemic. And to be quite honest, if you're listening right now, think about all that you've survived, all that you've experienced. And I will say it truly is a blessing to wake up another day and be able to experience life. And I I do want to express gratitude for that. But for this episode, We did want to recap this past year, not so much because we want to remember all the bad things that happened because, you know, not we don't really want to necessarily (laughs) re-experience everything. But at the same time, we do feel like it is important to just reflect on how this year changed us as individuals, as a collective. Right. And just noting how we got here and what do we do moving forward from this place. So. You know, we're going to we're going to take it back actually to January of last year. Yes. So just really quickly, if this is a topic that, you know, triggers you, we're going to be talking about things that do trigger you. Just just an FYI. I, I think that a lot of us would prefer to forget about this year. But, you know, if you're talking to me, I'll be like, nah, let's remember how it made you feel. Let's let's work on it and be better and move forward in that way. Yeah. Doing the work, which was one of our previous episodes, means learning the balance of pushing yourself to think about things, but also understanding when you have to hit pause and and change and play some, change the podcast, listen to some music and finding that balance. So wherever you're at, respect that and go with that. All right. So for me, it starts January 9th. Because uh, the World Health Organization announced this thing, right? This mysterious coronavirus. It's creating pneumonia symptoms in a lot of people and rapidly in Wuhan, China. I've always been scared of something like this happening. I, like, I've always been afraid of like those movie-type infectious diseases being airborne and then everybody dies and there's just like a few people living. I don't think science has failed us to make us aware of the possibility of a pandemic. And I had like read and learned a lot previous to this actually happening. 
that as a world, we are so close in contact with each other. Like globalization has caused us to be in contact, obviously the way 2020 has shown in more ways than we considered we were. And I was always very afraid of this. So like when Ebola happens, when the swine flu happened, like my antennas went up as well. But this is when I started worrying, January 9th. I remember that day. So I will say I was definitely one of those people that saw an article here and there about this. And I was like, well, we survived Ebola. We survived, you know, like, but then January 20th happened. And the first case of a coronavirus infection uh, was reported in the U.S. And I will say still, I thought like homie, isolate yourself don't talk to nobody don't touch nobody and and we'll be good but I think things started to escalate pretty quickly after that you know it's so funny how people respond to danger differently my shit was so high like my anxiety I couldn't contain it at this point because I was like oh my god it's coming it's coming and I remember reading the times and I remember like just being out and about and like asking people like yo like do you do you asking people I don't know why I'm asking people who are not experts first of all but that's what anxiety does like do you think it'll come here and everybody I spoke to was like no no way it's not possible uh that was me I'm I you can't see me but I'm raising my hand because I was definitely one of those people like girl relax like and then so this is kind of fast forwarding a little bit to to March but once we had a little bit more information you know it only affects older people like younger people don't really get it and I was like girl you don't smoke you exercise you eat healthy like you're good your immune system's strong like even if we did get it you'll be all right what was that wrong <laughs> I do remember that the misinformation is so powerful and it could it, it creates all these ideas that we think we have right and obviously we didn't once my antennas were up and I'm I, I started really looking at the information and kind of getting the updates every day I just kept getting more and more scared on January 31st again the World Health Organization they issued a global health emergency which <laughs> for me like I think about I'm like yeah, yeah do you think this would be a good time to start preparing Funny enough, about a week later, it was my brother's birthday and he lived in Texas at that time. So my mom and I decided to to travel to see him. And like there was already restrictions popping up here and there. Like global air travel was restricted. On February 3rd, the U.S. declared it a public health emergency. Coronavirus, that's how we first heard it. And we still went to Texas. But I was constantly like aware of who was next to us. I remember people coughing and I was like, oh, my God, I can't be close to them. So when I drink, my immune system gets like my immune system gets a little weaker. I remember being like, I'm not drinking tonight because I want my immune system to be intact. Like I was really freaking out about this. A hundred percent. remember that. <laughs> then on February 29th, we had the first COVID-19 death or at least the first reported death. We'll find out later on once we get more information on the pandemic that it wasn't actually the first COVID death. It's interesting because around this time I remember noticing and again because I'm so hyper aware when I feel like I'm in danger I remember noticing like the trains were a little emptier. I literally work I started I broke down crying I was like oh my god this is coming are we gonna be safe because like safety is a big thing for me if I don't feel safe I I it's non-stop anxiety. So I just did not feel safe at this point in time. And then I remember being on the train. It was February 28th, that Friday before the first death, and listening to this story um, in This American Life where they talk about someone who actually 
goes to Wuhan during the pandemic. And I was listening to the details of the story. And I remember thinking like, yo, I need to stop taking the train. So after that, what I started doing was going into work really late. I would get into work like 10, 30, 11. And I would wait for my boyfriend at the time to pick me up because he worked in the city. I refused to take the train home during rush hour because I just wanted to avoid people at all costs. I think, I, I mean, even at the end of February, I still was not. <laughs> I was like, we'll be all right. I remember I went to get my eyebrows done that day. That was the last time I did my eyebrows until like August. So it was, <laughs> it was a thing. I think like when I first saw it get serious, even though on March 9th, Italy placed itself on a lockdown, it didn't hit me what this actually was until March 11th. And that was when the NBA suspended its season indefinitely over the pandemic. And I was like, not basketball, this multi-million dollar business, right? Shutting down. I was like, either they know something that we don't know, or this is a lot more serious than, than I think it is. Also, a portion of the folks at my job were sent home. Unfortunately, I was part of the portion of the staff that still had to report. I ended up reporting until March 13th, and so did Sasha. But I think after I started to see things slowly shutting down, I was like, oh, this is for real. What is this? What is happening? And now I'm starting to think maybe Sasha wasn't wrong. <laughs> like, maybe she's <laughs> something. You know, it's so funny, though, like, because I was I was so freaked out about this. And I remember, like, buying alcohol pads. I bought masks in February. And, like, Crystal was making fun of me 100%. But then on March 13th, when it was declared a national emergency, like, COVID-19 was actually declared a national emergency, finally, by the president of the United States at that time. I remember, like, Crystal and I were like, all right. What are we going to do? It was a beautiful, it was a beautiful it day. It was a day, yeah. It was I gorgeous. Remember. And we were like, let's go out to eat. And I had wine. But guess what? I drank my wine with a straw. I did not put my lips on that glass. And I kept hand sanitizing. And I'm notorious for touching my face. Like, even now yeah. in the pandemic, like, I will say I've had to be very mindful because I touch my face a lot. Sasha was like, stop touching your face. Stop touching your face. I remember Stop that. touching your face. And she handed me an alcohol. So she's like, clean your phone and stop touching your face. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds just like me. <laughs> so I will say, like, even though I thought this was pretty serious, that was around the time where we had this whole you know, seven to 14 days thing. So once our job officially announced it was closed, I thought maybe we'd be home for two to four weeks and then we'd be fine. Uh, I definitely was one of those, you know how we make fun of those people that like, you really thought it was just going to last uh, those mm. two weeks. I was definitely one of those people. Y'all could drag me. I don't care. I will say I, I was feeling a little bit relieved to be home because work was really starting to stress me out. Like the first six months of the year are pretty stressful at work. Um, so I was happy to be home. But I remember when I was home and then I realized that I would be home for a significant amount of time and I would have a lot of time on my hands starting to panic and the anxiety starting to set in. One, because we were just like not sure what this was. At work, we weren't sure what was going to happen. And to be perfectly honest, I was like, not coronavirus, leaving me home with my demons. My demons were like, hey, bitch, how you doing? Like, and I was, I, I, <laughs> and I know this sounds crazy, but I live alone. So I was like, not me having two full weeks 
of time on my hands where I cannot distract myself, where I cannot do anything. Like, I'm really going to have to sit here with myself. And I've lived alone for a while, but never in a situation like this. I remember being very panicked and anxious about the pandemic, but also about my own emotions and what I was about to face about myself because I knew it was coming. You know what you just reminded me of? Yo, seriously, Crystal calls me up. I think it was a Sunday. And she's like, hey, boo, I'm having symptoms. I just want to let you know because I need you to check in on me. And I'm I'm out here mad worried. Like, fuck, how am I going to check okay, in on her if yeah. she doesn't answer her phone? <laughs> I, you, you know what? I was really scared because, well, one, I think it was more so like just my anxiety because I remember going to the store and someone started coughing and I literally dropped everything that I had in the store <laughs> and I... And I ran the fuck up out of there. I was like, I don't care. I don't need this. Um, I ended up going to another store to to buy it. But I didn't want to be in that space. And then I, I think, like, my anxiety started to create symptoms that weren't there. And that was a, also a huge panic for me because I was like, I live alone. The last thing I want to do is die in this apartment by myself. What if no one finds my body for days because you know no one's I mean not that no one would have checked in on me someone would have noticed but it was it was a big fear of mine because I was like the way that this virus is escalating it's it's pretty bad and I think Twitter was not helpful for me at this time because Twitter was scaring everybody (laughs) so I remember thinking I have to put systems in place to take care of myself because I am alone and I need to make sure that my people are checking in on me. Yes, which I, I know I did. Thank God it was just a scare. But that what you're saying reminds me of this thing that human beings do. We displace a lot of our emotions onto things that, are, that aren't the, the, the trigger to the emotion we're feeling, right? So you're talking about being alone. That's the trigger. That's the anxiety, right? But then it became like a COVID thing. Like we do that all the time where it's like, yo, you have this anxiety living within you and then you find an external reason to just be like, no, no, this is why. You displace it onto it and you're like, this is why I feel this way. It's because of this. And I find that really interesting how we do that just to cope. Absolutely. That That's a great point to, to put out there. And I think that because girl I totally forgot about that even in prepping for this episode you brought me back shit I might might need to hit pause and be like hold on give me a minute let me collect myself but I think that you're you're absolutely right the anxiety was about me being alone and feeling isolated feeling lonely and feeling scared with no one to turn to so I think for me my body was like experience some symptoms, experience some fatigue. So you have a reason to reach out to people so that they can support you during this time, as opposed to just saying, I'm scared. I Mm. need support. Can you check in on me? So that was a live revelation, y'all. Like I, (laughs) (laughs) and I did it again. I yes, just, you did. Yo, thank, I'm so hot. And I, I don't mean that in like a cocky way. She's like, yo, like I don't mean to. And sometimes I feel like I, I poke at the wrong bear, so to speak. But uh, thank you, Boo, for being so graceful with receiving it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I and like for me, my anxiety, like I knew where it was coming from at that point in time. Like, I don't want to die. I have such a fear of dying and death in general. And I know I've mentioned this before, but like the minute we were able to work from home, my anxiety decreased. It went down. It went back to normal. Yes, I was worried about my mom and especially my mom and like my family. But there was just I felt safe again. It kind of like brought me brought me down. And I I started 
thinking less in fear response and more like a realistic person should or could. Right. And I went completely opposite. Uh, <laughs> so uh, now we're, we're, we're looking at like mid-March. I will say I, I do remember hearing ambulance all the time. I remember the anxiety that I did start to feel about running out of items, seeing people hoarding food, toilet paper, cleaning supplies. I realized that I, because I don't really cook, I didn't even know how much food I needed to buy for a week. And I remember I was like, this is a lot of food. And the food would last maybe like three or four days. And then having anxiety about like, oh my God, now I have to go back out. I, I And I was just... In, in panic mode. And when I tell you that I would be like, Sasha's like, hey, do you need anything? I can get it for you. I'm going to BJ's. And she's like, things are a little bit more expensive now. And I was like, girl, I don't care. Pay whatever the heck you need to pay for this. I need this. Like, and I remember like every decision that I made came out of this place of panic and anxiety. And I think that it led to a lot of irrational thoughts and mm. behavior. Now, I, I don't think that I was on the extreme end. I didn't buy 17 packs of toilet paper. But I remember thinking I had just bought an eight pack, like literally before we went on, on lockdown and thinking like, this is not enough. And just my mind really started to spiral because I was alone. It kind of went a little unchecked. It's funny because my spiraling happened in the beginning and then yours happened during the pandemic. That just goes to show that we all have very unique triggers and then sometimes we think that everybody is experiencing the same thing because we're all going through it but the reality is that is your shit but it's interesting because for me my anxiety shifted and I think I started experiencing pain and grief really really early mm. on so like I remember having a conversation with my oldest childhood friend and she's she was supposed to get married of October 2020 last year. And this we were having a conversation in March because she's a, a physician assistant. And they changed her original floor to a COVID unit. She took care of COVID patients. And I remember her telling me that it had crossed her mind. Like, shit, will I even make it to my wedding? And that fucked with me. That's the minute that I started realizing, like, yo, this is going to cause so much pain, so much hurt so much trauma within people after that conversation it really did occur to me like we are dealing with a traumatic event worldwide and this is going to have not just the effects of while the pandemic lasts but this is going to have long lasting effects like years to come and that that thought started making me really really sad and i started living with the grief of what was yeah that's a that's a tough one for me, I, I think I started to experience a sense of grief of like my normalcy, but I think it was also for the world, grief for the world, because I do remember just like thousands of people mm. dying a day and thinking about these were mothers, brothers, teachers, you know, like your healthcare professionals. I started to feel grief and a lot of survivor's guilt. Because mm -hmm. I thought, here I am in this very privileged position while people are unsafe. And it felt like, well, I didn't do anything special to deserve this. So why am I, especially because I've come from a background where I've experienced a lot of trauma and, and challenges. So I thought like, well, what did I do to earn this privilege? And I remember having a session with my therapist about that, about 
you know, feeling like, why is this happening to, to and it was happening to me too in, in my anxiety, but I just felt like there were bigger things that other people were going through. And I just felt so terrible that there was not much that I could do about it. Yeah, no, that is, that's, that's a real feeling. Just kind of feeling guilty for being in a better off position. And like, what do you do with that? And and you try to be grateful, right? But then you kind of feel like, is that enough? It's a real internal conflict. And it's something that also came up in me. And I think I was positive for the first three months of this pandemic because of that recognition, like, oh shit, I'm good. Like, I'm good. I'm blessed. And that was the first time in my life I think I actually really meant it. Yeah, no, I remember having a whole breakdown because I felt like I didn't deserve to be okay while other Mm. people suffered. And I think it was just so in my face because, I mean, in smaller instances, I've always been like, I'm so grateful. But I was like, at the rate that things are going right now, how can I be grateful when the whole world um, is suffering and yeah and I I felt like I I would say like I feel like I'm in a golden cage yes I have to stay in in my apartment and I can't go outside and my freedoms quote unquote are like limited but I was like this is a real cushy experience though because you know like there are people in multi-generational homes there were people who lost their jobs there were people who could not pay their bills there were people who didn't have enough money for food there were people who didn't have the resources to get to a hospital even if in a worst case scenario I you know like I have health insurance I have a job I was afraid of being furloughed at one point and I know that my mom ended up having to voluntarily stop going to work to reduce her risk of exposure. And I remember financially worrying about my family, but also still being in a position where I was like, I mean, I don't know how long I'm going to have this job for because I can also be furloughed, but also thinking like I have to help them. So it was just, it was a lot. It was a lot to deal with. I completely understand where your mind was at. And it's interesting because I think even on... Like, this is something that was, it wasn't just us experiencing it, right? Like, because around the end of March, I think it was March 25th, the Senate in the White House, like, agreed to the $2 trillion stimulus package, mm-hmm. which showed, like, how much, pe- well, A, how much people were in need, and A, and B, how much our economy was in need, and how much we were being affected by this pan- by this pandemic. And we were, what, two, three weeks in? Yeah. Yeah, I remember waiting for for that check and remember holding on to it to make sure that if my family needed needed it, it was one quick Zelle payment away. So um, I was grateful for that. Except later on, we found out that we were that was the last little bit of help we were gonna get as individuals. So before we we actually get into like how we think the pandemic has like affected the collective. I do want to speak on my experience with COVID, not because I had it, but because my boyfriend at the time had it. I felt so bad. It was his birthday and he called me and he was like, yo, like I'm, I don't feel good. I have body chills, blah, blah, blah. And because he lives with his mother who was older, we were like, okay, come quarantine in my house. And I swore I had COVID because I spent the whole weekend with him. But like, I remember just being like overly stressed. Because I was adjusting to like new work dynamics at that time. I was literally taking care of him. Like he couldn't do shit by himself. And like I was cooking. I was making sure he was hungry. Like he was eating. And 
I because he he felt kind of bad, like, oh, she's taking care of me, so I'm just gonna wait on her. So then I had that on my mind. It was just like it was a lot of stress. Something that I do want to talk about that I found pretty funny is it is so true and it's so true to my character. He had lost his his sense of taste and smell, and I didn't believe him. And I remember I made like spaghetti and chicken for him, and I put mad red pepper flakes on one side of the plate just to see if he would catch it. And like, yo, he really did not taste or smell anything because he just kept eating. (laughs) (laughs) Why are you testing this man? (laughs) No, I don't believe anybody. Trust issues. Uh (laughs) But yeah, that happened for me. That lasted like until the end of April. I know. I remember that that was a very stressful time for you because I think you had to make a lot of sacrifices in an already difficult time to to take care of him and just also being very mindful that that was I and again I think that also led to my guilt that I was like I don't have to deal with this like I don't even have a man so like like if anyone gets sick like I don't have to worry about them so fast forward to May 7th on top of the fact that we're already experiencing a global pandemic that is ravaging its way throughout the world uh gregory and travis mcmichael are charged with the murder and the shooting death of ahmaud arbery in georgia and i will say i accidentally watched the video because there was no trigger warning in the video that i saw and well one i remember later on blacking out the entire video it wasn't until i had a conversation with sasha where she was saying i can't watch the video that i remembered that i had actually watched it because i think it was just so graphic that my mind couldn't allow me to remember it we you know we fast forward to may 25th then we had the minneapolis police officer filmed pressing his knee on the neck of george floyd killing him as other officers stood by and that that was i don't even have i i don't have words but i remember being very numb after that uh Mm. numb in that I couldn't connect with my feelings but I do remember feeling like I had to move to action to do something about the fact that there was I mean we've always had it these very targeted attacks against these black men uh and I think for the first time Ever. We were in a because we were in a pandemic, because we were home, because a lot of people didn't have jobs, no one could distract themselves from what was happening. It was all yeah. over the internet. It was everywhere. And I think that we all stood in solidarity. Uh well, maybe not all of us, but for those who are on the right side of things, we stood in solidarity with the black community to bring awareness about the racial issues that we have in this country so by june we saw black lives matter protests not even just all around america but in the world there were other countries that were having uh protests as well and i remember people truly being outraged at what we saw at what we were seeing and i will say i I I move towards action in terms of like my work and what can I do to help support the community in the ways that I had access to. They do remember feeling a little bit more hopeful that 
maybe because no one had the opportunity to be distracted by, you know, I have my upcoming wedding and my quinceanera, which were also big losses for people who didn't get to celebrate these big milestones. But I think because we didn't have these distractions, all of us were putting our attention on the things that that really mattered. You said it really beautifully. You know, of course, I'm going to do this. Like, I don't think it was easy for you to recount that story. And for me, what that shows is the emotion, the heightened emotion and how how it's just like trauma on top of trauma. I remember seeing Ahmaud Aubrey. I remember seeing the video and then turning it off with Ahmaud Aubrey. And I remember I just I was broken. Like I, I started crying. I had to call my coworker. And then when the video of George Floyd literally being murdered to came out I was like I'm not watching anything and I still to this day have not seen that video it put me in such trauma response that like Crystal I needed to find like a solution like how do I make this some how how do I find a tangible way to contribute I think that that's what kept going through my mind and like and for me what started coming up was like a lot of imposter syndrome because I was safe Mm -hmm. at home and also like am I the one who should be doing this work when I do agree, everybody should be doing this work. But at that time, it it started like making me feel like really guilty. And just I didn't know. And on top of everything, I'm home. Like we're all home mm-hmm. experiencing this. So like you're you're literally watching a traumatic event. It's happening to all of us, whether we're in it or not, because we're we're watching it and we're part of this country. And you're sitting down. You, mm-hmm. where are those emotions going you're not going out the same way you're sitting down where are those emotions going like animals as a as a coping mechanism to traumatic events like if you are if your dog ever gets scared do you notice that he like he or she like shakes it off it's because that's their way of regulating their body again kind of calming themselves down like where where and we're just like that we need physical movement to regulate ourselves like where are we doing that in a pandemic so for me this after george floyd's murder and then with the BLM protests, that's when it hit me. Like, that's when working from home became really, really difficult for me. So, and it's still difficult to this day. Yeah, I think what it brings up for me is the fact that we were all experiencing a collective trauma, but not as a collective uh, and not in community. Yes. Uh, and I think that's why a lot of people, um, and I think the the COVID numbers, at least in New York, I can't speak to anywhere else in the world, um, were going down. And I think people felt a little bit safer towards the summer to go out and protest. And I think that one, people were just feeling extremely isolated throughout all of these months. Um, but two, when you experience something like that, um, I, I, would, I would be curious to even explore um, like collective trauma and and the collective's response. Um, Because I think when you come together in community, that's the best way to heal. And I think that's why so many people, besides the fact that uh, we were all home and quote, you know, didn't have anything better to do, so to speak, but also just thinking about the collective trauma of watching these men die in front of us and this pandemic um, coming together as a community to protest and support each other and be there for each other during that time. What you said was so eye-opening for me, like how we're all experiencing a collective trauma, but we're not dealing with it in a collective manner. And that that that's really isolating. And I think that just adds on to the trauma. Like that was that was a gem right there. 
Uh, just putting it out there. That really was. Uh, it hit me. Yeah, summer got hard after that. Yeah, and I will say the summer also, and this happened, this was very, um, an, a very American thing, but I don't know if y'all remember the fireworks that started to happen around mid-June, uh, mm-hmm. which was not conducive to what was happening at the time because this mm-hmm. was at the height of the protest. Um, you know, people were looting. Things were burning down, like literally burning down. And then we had these fireworks that started and they were all around the world because I'm, I'm used to fireworks. I live in Inwood. I'm, Inwood is one of the um, zip codes that gets the most noise complaints. And I, and I can attest that, yes, it is very loud here. But... I remember there were conspiracy theories starting because these fireworks weren't just regular fireworks. They sounded like bombs. Yo. And I remember being... No, I was just going to say, yo, like that... I remember being woken up by that and being fucking terrified. Yes. And I remember feeling like not only are we in a global pandemic, but now we have bombs. And this thought of like the going into another civil war and what... Like, I remember being terrified and... Is, is, like, the government going to attack its own people because they refuse to give racial... Mm. To, to fight for racial justice? And I remember cops not even really having the time to address it. So it just kept going on. And then the conspiracy theories about there yeah. being... And I, I saw the images online. I don't know how true it is, but about, one, that the government was the one providing these fireworks to kind of, like, scare people into uh, psychologically being numb to the sound of like fireworks because they sounded like machine guns they sounded like Mm -hmm. bombs and I remember reading somewhere I mean again Twitter Twitter is a great place and a very uh not great space to be in during during these times but remember reading about um that these fireworks were happening and that the government was doing it to desensitize us to the sound of war so that if our country did have to go into some sort of civil war that people, you know, just like social media has kind of desensitized us to a lot of things. So, yes, I do remember that. And I was fucking terrified at that time. I just want to say I remember just feeling on edge nonstop. What comes up for me is being constantly reminded of the lack of trust in a system that is supposed to be helping us or keeping us safe, right? So we don't trust our government because they didn't tell us about the pandemic in time. We don't trust our government because they don't treat people equally. We don't trust our government even more now because shit, they're supposedly the ones giving this to us. Like, yo, like your people must have been in such a fear response and working like that causes way more stress (laughs) than just your regular job. And I can just imagine like, what that period of time in particular has done to people's psyches in general. Like, yo, like, how did they recover? Are they, have they recovered? Have people, you know, like, it it blows my mind. Having four years of distrust and then having this pandemic and having these, having these protests and feeling like we were in a police state, because now I'm remembering, and I didn't put this, uh, I wasn't, I hadn't thought about this until now, even like the curfews that we had, like we couldn't go out past a certain hour. And being afraid of what would happen to you if you went out past that certain, you know, that certain hour. And I will say, I think at that moment and just the pandemic overall, but I think it reached its peak around the summer was just how little this country 
protects its most vulnerable folks. Um, mm. Just the lack of systems in place to even e- economically help people who need it most. Uh, the fact that COVID was really doing its worst in black and brown communities because they didn't have the resources to stay home because they lived in multi-generational homes. So just all of the social justice issues that were really heightened and and shown a light on uh, during this time, I will say, I think it did affect me because I think moving forward, I don't think I can ever be as blind to these issues as I once was. Not that I did wasn't aware, but I think it always felt bigger than me. And moving forward, I'm just like, I can't, I can't be that person anymore. That just like, okay, yeah, I know about this, but what am I doing about it? So yeah, I think that's what, what the summer did for me. So I completely agree with you uh, when you say that you felt that the pandemic hit its peak in the summer. I think that with everything happening, like Black Lives Matter, the pandemic, the curfew, thank you for reminding me about that because that brought back so much feeling and just remembering what it was that we were going through as a collective, even though, like you said, like we weren't really dealing with it as a collective, but this is something that we were all experiencing. That's, I think that moment, is when it hit me that my mental health was on the decline. So what I mean by that, it was like, I had a lot of anxiety. I started having more depressive symptoms. Like it was harder for me to be, I I lost a lot of motivation at that time. And in recognizing that in myself, it started hitting me that like, oh shit, uh, this is going to have like long-term effects on everybody. I started noticing like little details of how even the news portrayed information I remember just consistently looking at this number of the death toll going up and how imagining how people are becoming numb to hearing bad news, Mm -hmm. which we were already numb, right? Like you think about how this affects how we live in this world. People don't, I don't even know if people are moved by the fact that we have that high death rate, right? They just see it as a number until they're affected individually. And then the way we keep looking towards information to make us feel better, right? And like, this is something that I had a real issue with in the summer when people were like, oh, when things go back to normal, because the vaccine should be here. And it's like, yo, like, I don't know if anyone recognizes this. And I'm sorry if I'm bursting anyone's bubble at the moment, but we're not going back to how we used to live. Mm -hmm. We are not. And what I mean by that is it's the same way I always tell that depressed patient of, you know, who wants to go back to who they used to be. How we used to live is how we got to this issue. And now we have the choice to move forward with our eyes open or continue doing the same thing and getting into the same mess as people, right? So like going back to what you said, like, do you choose to participate in the collective and acknowledge it because you're participating in it anyway? Or Mm -hmm. do you want to pretend that you're living all on your own? And I think that speaks to America a lot. Because I actually, and I feel guilty for saying this, I had the opportunity to travel during the summer because I couldn't take it anymore here in New York, cooped up in my apartment. I, I was going crazy and I had, and I feel, and the, I feel guilt because I had the ability to, you know, buy a flight and yes, I was putting myself at risk, but just kind of say like, okay, I'm going to do this, go see my brother. And we ended up taking a road trip from Texas where he used to live up to New York and we went through a lot of the South. We went through like Tennessee, the Carolinas. I got to see pretty cool places. I'm not going to lie. But what I also got to see is exactly what I was talking about before. And that's the fact that we 
as individuals, we we look to each other to create a norm. And in the South, the norm was everybody for themselves. And even to the point where it had me believing like, oh, maybe COVID isn't a thing because people didn't take it as seriously as people in New York did. Like, I remember New York was like, it was super tight in regards to regulations. Like, you wouldn't be caught dead being on the street without a mask. So to go from that to seeing how people in the same country were acting like it really wasn't that big of a deal and they were eating inside. And it just made me realize how people choose to live a certain way and they choose to be blind about certain things when everyone is being affected. And I think being part of the collective is, is, a, is a choice that we should all get on board with. I think that what you're what you're explaining it creates almost like this dissonance within the country itself where the reality of the people within the country just doesn't match up and I think that you know even thinking about where the government like the government and their actions and what they were doing not matching the reality of what was really happening because at this point we have approximately half a million people who have passed it's it's an interesting thing to think about that we are all technically moving on with our lives. We're dealing with event after event after anxiety-inducing event with no break, trying to be normal and move on with a life that isn't what you said, that isn't going to be normal. But the expectation is to be adjusted to what life is, what life should be, what the normal should be when... There's so much happening for me. If you're if you're someone who's aware, because I think that some people have just chosen to live in their own realities. But for those of us who are understanding, it kind of creates this this state of confusion. But also, it does create a little bit of anxiety, like what you were feeling, you know, in the summer, and how just. Feeling that can leave you in a state of hyperarousal, and that can also mm. be like unhealthy for the body and mind. I, I mean, I, me personally, I like to stay aware of what's going on. I don't, I've, I've always, I tell people all the time, I'm definitely one of those people who, like, I never think that it can't happen to me. I'm, I'm always like, it has happened to people, therefore it can happen to me. But that also, you know, like I was saying, can leave you in a state of anxiety. So I find it critical during times like these to find ways to take care of yourself and feel grounded um, and incorporating um, daily practice of like mindfulness, yoga, just creating some silence, grounding, like I mentioned, to ensure that you don't get stuck in this state permanently because I think that when you see all of these differences and your brain tries to make sense of it and it can't and it goes into the state of hyperarousal or your brain is like I'm just gonna choose to believe whatever reality makes me happy and just go go in that direction so I think it, it can be a challenging time and I will say I think the summer was was a peak because I, I I mean and I could be wrong but from my observation I think people after the summer, just because it had they had been cooped up for so long, just mm-hmm. chose to go with, I'm just going to believe my own version of reality and do that instead. Because being aware of what's actually happening and kind of letting my mind understand the, the reality of things and the fact that I need to live this quote unquote normal life is too much. The fact that you were talking about being hyper aroused, it hits home with me because I, I was also thinking about 
how much extra stress people are experiencing now, right? Like being cooped up in their homes, not being able to go out, the mistrust, uh, not knowing what's happening. And think about the people who are already living in stressful situations. Like, for example, someone in a multi-generational home where like every move they make is going to affect not just their immediate family, but whomever else is living in it, right? There's just so much extra added stress. And when that happens, usually what that comes along with is like higher irritability. You become a little more violent, a little a little less mm-hmm. tolerable of other people. Um, you become more aggressive. Uh, lo and behold, violence went up in the city. And, and I think that that is a completely normal human reaction. That's been the reaction in times of high stress throughout U.S. history. So I'm not surprised because of the fact that like control over yourself is what motivates us. So it's like when we don't have control over ourselves, like inevitably, in my opinion, we're just going to steer the wrong way or just kind of get into like even me, the way I got into more depressive thinking and I wasn't feeling as motivated. So it does definitely have an effect on all of us, whether we recognize it or not. Something that I did want to point out is I heard in the news, and I'm not surprised, of how people are drinking more. And that's a huge Mm. issue through the mental health perspective, because if you are drinking more to soothe whatever it is that's coming up in you, like I think about all the people who maybe didn't have triggers previously to become alcoholics or to become addicted. And now it's like, what is it that they're doing to cope? And if they're using, you know, unhealthy coping mechanisms and also thank you for your very healthy coping mechanisms. That's what we all should be doing. But the reality is that not a lot of us resort to it because we have lack of knowledge or, you know, we think it doesn't work, but resorting to alcohol and drugs is it's causing, this is, this is a long-term issue, right? People and substance abuse disorders. And I did think about that because it's a, it's a big issue already. I agree. And I mean, it makes me, it makes me sad to think about that drug use or alcohol abuse is up, but it also, it also makes sense when you're stuck at home with your kids, you don't have a job, you're not sure where you're going to live. Um, I was watching a YouTube video that this young man, he was going to be homeless for the third time since March. Mm. Um, so even though I, I absolutely, I want to be clear, I absolutely do not condone drug use or alcohol to, you know, outside of social situations. I also understand that sometimes the reality of things um, is too much. And how does that compound and put you in a state where you can resort to, to those coping mechanisms? Think about what we just mentioned, right? Like different realities and people almost literally neglecting your reality and then high stress. And then the fact that like we're all dealing with grief, Mm -hmm. not just of what once was, but like think about the people who are dealing with family members that they lost unexpectedly. It's so traumatic. Like it, it, I don't, it's so hurtful to talk about even, and it didn't happen to me, the thought of, having a family member who had to pass alone in the hospital because you weren't able to go see them. Like that is fucked up. I, I can't like my heart hurts thinking about it. And because I had the opportunity to, to lose somebody the quote unquote normal way. Like, and I don't, I can't even like fathom that in my mind. Yeah. I had a friend who lost her parents uh, during this time. And I, I remember thinking like, what can I do? But what can you do in these situations? And, you know, I, I found ways to support by donating and, 
you know, to, to help with funeral expenses. And I went to uh, the funeral home, even though I felt unsafe going because, you know, just was very fearful of catching COVID. But I was like, I need to show support in some way. And I think also it, it is a difficult situation for all parties involved because how do you even you know, soothe someone uh, during these times. And just even thinking about the future, what you said about normalcy not being restored, for these people, it definitely will never be restored. Absolutely not. Not only were they adjusting to a new life, a new, you know, a new way of doing things and dealing with that. Now they have to adjust to life without the person that they love, who they lost. And that is not easy because it took me a long time to get over losing my father. So my heart does go out to to everybody who has lost someone during this because I don't I don't take it lightly and nobody should and it's having other people act as if that person's reality isn't real I mean who regardless of right or wrong like that's that's hurtful and you don't do that to other people you don't like cancel them out because it benefits you that's how I feel about it it's crazy to me like not just that'll make you feel more alone as well. And I think that that's something a lot of people are dealing with. Like, I, I think a lot about people who don't know how to manage some of the things that we've brought up right now, like that anxiety, that that extra stress, like losing your sense of self, like what made you feel normal. And I think about how isolated they may be feeling as well. Like as a therapist, I, I wonder like how they're going to be able to move forward. I always wonder if they know that it's okay to reach out to somebody. It's okay to talk about these things because a lot of people weren't used to it before. And so like now what do they do? So I can definitely speak to all of us who live alone or were living alone at the time that the pandemic started. And I will say I I was dealing with a lot of loneliness and I learned that I isolate myself to the point where I have to fake symptoms so that Sasha could check it on me. Uh, <laughs> but I but I think, you know, like it, it does kind of take you to, to these places where I had to feel something or think that I felt something in order to survive and reach out to someone else. And I think it made me aware of my community or lack thereof. And I think that it this this time really and I and I will say this doesn't necessarily go to what I'm about to say next doesn't necessarily go to only folks who lived alone, but just what I hope everyone experienced was really like seeing yourself for who you were. I I realized during this time that that I wasn't seeing all parts of myself. And I was afraid to see the lonely person, the woman who, you know, just maybe hadn't created as many connections with folks as I had wanted to. I was left alone with my traumas that I could not escape at all. I had to deal with what I was happy with about myself and what I disliked. Um, And I had to ask myself, who am I? Did I become the person that I am today by accident? Was it intentional? Who did I want to be? And what is the life that I wanted to create for myself moving forward. And I know that even in, in creating this podcast, that was that was a part of that conversation. Like, who do I want to be? What do I want my future to be? Like, what is my purpose in this life? And why am I here? And what? how do I want to contribute to others moving forward, especially in the ways that I felt that I wasn't poured into growing up? Mm, I just want to say that was deep, like super deep. 
Shout out to you for doing the work, boo. You know, when uh, there was only four walls and myself, so. <laughs> Thank you. And and I think that if you if you have if you're someone who hasn't asked yourself these questions, if not now, then when? I think that this time made me really reflect on how do I find my inner peace and joy. And uh, I'm gonna be perfectly honest, that's not an easy ask. It's not a quick fix. But starting starting today, starting right now, is better than never. Yo, I love everything about what you just said because. I mean, it speaks to what I believe that we should be doing, right? Like, A, accepting that this is our reality. Then B, accepting that you have a responsibility in it. And that's exactly what you did. So, I mean, A++++. (laughs) But, like, to me, it's just, like, that's, that's what we should be doing. Yeah, so I think it's important to recognize where we're at realistically, not because we... This is where our fantasies and dreams live in, right? Like, just kind of ground ourselves in reality and figure out what is it that distorts that reality because that's that's up to us. And, like, a lot of us consume things that will distort that reality. So, like, really trying to be a little more thoughtful into your life. Yes, thank you for that, Sasha. And uh, I know that we mentioned it very briefly a while ago that we did lose uh, half a million lives this year due to the pandemic. And unfortunately, I know that we're going to continue to lose a lot more lives. But I do want to take a moment of silence for those that we, we did lose in honor of their memory. Thank you for for that moment of silence. And with that, I I do want to end this episode. I do recognize that this was a tough one to listen to, a tough one to think about, um, especially considering this year has been so rough. But please make sure you do not take for granted the fact that you are here, that you are with us, and that you have an opportunity to create your best life moving forward. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at Never Told Us Pod. And you can also email us at Never Told Us Pod at gmail.com. And we hope that you come back next week so we can continue to tell you what they never told us.